Chapter Eight of the Armourers' Prentices. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Armourers' Prentices by Charlotte M. Young. Chapter Eight. Quipsome Hal. The sweet and bitter fool will presently appear. The one in motley here, the other found out there. Shakespeare There lay the quiet temple gardens on the Thames bank, cut out in formal walks, with flowers growing in the beds of the homely kinds beloved by the English. Musk roses, honeysuckle, and virgin's bower climbed on the old grey walls, sops in wine, blue bottles, bachelor's buttons, stars of Bethlehem, and the like filled the borders many thorns were in full sweet blossom and near one another were the two rose bushes one damask and one white provence whence somerset and warwick were said to have plucked their fatal badges while on the opposite side of a broad grass plot was another bush looked on as a great curiosity of the best omen where the roses were streaked with alternate red and white in honour as it were of the union of york and lancaster by this rose-tree stood the two young birkenholts edmund burgess having by his master's desire shown them the way and passed them in by a word and sign from his master then retired unseen to a distance to mark what became of them they having promised also to return and report of themselves to master headley they stood together earnestly watching for the coming of the uncle feeling quite uncertain whether to expect a frail old broken man or to find themselves absolutely deluded and made game of by the jester the gardens were nearly empty for most people were sitting over their supper tables after the business of the day was over and only one or two figures in black gowns paced up and down in conversation come away ambrose said stephen at last he only meant to make fools of us come before he comes to gibe us for having heeded a moment come i say here's this man coming to ask us what we are doing here for a tall well-made well-dressed personage in the black or sad colour of a legal official looking like a prosperous householder or superior artisan was approaching them some attendant as the boys concluded belonging to their temple they expected to be turned out and ambrose in an apologetic tone began sir we were bidden to meet a a kinsman here and even so am i was the answer in a grave quiet tone or rather to meet twain ambrose looked up into a pair of dark eyes and exclaimed Stevie, Stevie, tis he, tis Uncle Hal. Ay, tis all you're like to have for him, answered Harry Randall, enfolding each in his embrace. Lad, how like thou art to my poor sister, and is she indeed gone, and your honest father too, and none left at home but that hunks little John? How and when died she? Two years agone come Lammastide, answered Stephen there was a deadly creeping fever and ague through the forest we two sickened and ambrose was so like to die that diggory went to the abbey for the priest 
to Houselan and kneel him, but by the time Father Simon came, he was sound asleep, and soon was whole again. But before we were on our legs, our blessed mother took the disease, and she passed away, and many days were over. Then, even though poor father took not that sickness, he never was the same man again, and only twelve days after last patch tide, he was taken with a fit, and never spake again. Stephen was weeping by this time, and his uncle had a hand on his shoulder, and with tears in his eyes, threw in ejaculations of pity and affection. Ambrose finished the narrative with a broken voice indeed, but as one who had more self-command than his brother, perhaps than his uncle, whose exclamations became bitter and angry as he heard of the treatment the boys had experienced from their half-brother, who, as he said, he had always known as a currish, mean-spirited churl, but scarce such as this nor do i think he would have been save for his wife maud pratt of hampton said ambrose nay truly also he deemed that we were only within a day's journey of counsel from our uncle richard at hyde richard birkenholt was a sturdy old comrade methinks he would have given master jack a piece of his mind alack good uncle we found him in his dotage and the bursar of hyde made quick work with us for fear good father shoveller said that we were come to look after his corrody shoveller what a shoveller of cranberry how fell ye in with him ambrose told the adventures of their journey and randall exclaimed by my ba i mean by my faith if ye have ill luck in uncles ye have good luck in friends no ill luck in thee good kind uncle said stephen catching at his hand with the sense of comfort that kindred blood gives how wottest thou that child did not i i mean did not merriman tell you that mayhap ye would not be willing to own your uncle we deemed he was but jesting said stephen ah for a sudden twinkle in the black eyes an involuntary twist of the muscles of the face were a sudden revelation to him he clutched hold of Ambrose with a sudden grasp. Ambrose, too, looked and recoiled for a moment while the colour spread over his face. Yes, lads, can you brook the thought Harry Randall is the poor fool? Stephen, whose composure had already broken down, burst into tears again, perhaps mostly at the downfall of all his own expectations and glorifications of the kinsman about whom he had boasted. Ambrose only exclaimed, Oh, uncle, you must have been hard-pressed. For indeed the grave, almost melancholy man who stood before them, regarding them wistfully, had little in common with the lithe tumbler full of absurdities whom they had left at York House. Even so, my good lad, thou art right in that, said he gravely. Harder than I trust will ever be the lot of you two, my sweet mole sons she never guessed that i was come to this oh no said stephen she always thought thou thou had some high preferment in and so i have said randall with something of his ordinary humour there's no man dares to speak such plain truth to my lord or for that matter to king harry himself save his own jackalee 
and he being a fool of nature's own making cannot use his chances poor rogue and so the poor lads came up to london hoping to find a gallant captain who would bring them to high preferment and found naught but tom fool i could find it in my heart to weep for them and so thou mindest clutching the mistletoe on nunkhal's shoulders i warrant it groweth still on the crooked may bush and is old bobbin alive they answered his questions but still as if under a great shock and presently he said as they paced up and down the garden walks ay i have been sore bested and i'll tell you how it came about boys and mayhap you will pardon the poor fool who would not own you sooner lest ye should come in for mockery you have not learnt to brook there was a sadness and pleading in his tone that touched ambrose and he drew nearer to his uncle who had laid a hand on his shoulder and presently the other on that of stephen who shrank a little at first but submitted lads i need not tell you why i left fair shirley and the good greenwood i was a worse fool then than ever i have been since i wore the cap and bells and if all had been brought home to me it might have brought your father and mother into trouble my sweet moll who had done her best for me i deemed as you do now that the way to fortune was open but i found no path before me and i had tightened my belt many a time and was not much more than a bag of bones when by chance i fell in with a company of tumblers and glee men i sang them the old hunting song and they said i did it tunably and whereas they saw i could already dance a hornpipe and turn a somersault passably well the leader of the troop old nat fire-eater took me on and methinks he did not repent nor i neither save when i sprained my foot and had time to lie by and think we had plenty to fill our bellies and put on our backs we had welcome wherever we went and the groats and pennies rained into our caps i was clown and jack pudding and whatever served their turn and the very name of quips and how drew crowds yea twas a merry life ay i feel thee wince and shrink my lad and so should i have shuddered when i was of thine age and hoped to come to better things methinks twere better than this present said stephen rather gruffly i had my reasons boy said randall speaking as if he were pleading his cause with their father and mother rather than with two such young lads there was in our company an old man-at-arms who played the lute and the rebeck and sang ballads so long as hand and voice served him and with him went his grandchild a fair and honest little maiden whom he kept so jealously apart that twas long ere i knew of her following the company he had been a franklin on my lord warwick's lands and had once been burnt out by queen margaret's men and just as things looked up again with him king edward's folk ruined all again and slew his two sons when great folk play the fool small folk play the scot as i din to his grace's ears whenever i may a minion of the duke of clarence got the steading and poor old martin fulford was turned out to shift as best he might one son he had left and with him he went to the low countries where they would have done well had they not been bitten by faith in the fellow perkin warbeck you've heard of him yea said ambrose 
the same who was taken out of sanctuary at Beaulieu and borne off to London. Father said he was marvellous like in the face to all the kings he had ever seen hunting in the forest. I know not, but to the day of his death old Martin swore that he was a son of King Edward's, and they came home again with the men the Duchess of Burgundy gave Perkin, came bag and baggage, for young Fulford had wedded a fair Flemish wife, poor soul. He left her with his father nigh to Taunton, ere the battle, and he was never heard of more. But as he was one of the few men who knew how to fight, belike he was slain. Thus old Martin was left with the Flemish wife and her little one on his hands, for whose sake he did what went against him sorely, joined himself to this troop of jugglers and players, so as to live by the minstrelsy he had learnt in better days while his daughter-in-law mended and made for the company and kept them in smart and shining trim by the time i fell in with them his voice was well-nigh gone and his hands sorely shaking but fire-eating nat the master of our troop was not an ill-natured fellow and the glee women's feet were well used to his rebeck moreover the fire-eater had an eye to little perronel though the mother had never let him train her scarce let him set an eye on her and when mistress fulford died poor soul of ave caught when we showed off before the merry prior of worcester her last words were that perronel should never be a glee maiden well to make an end of my tale we had one day a mighty show at windsor when the king and court were at the castle and it was whispered to me at the end that my lord archbishop's household needed a jester and that quips and how had been thought to make excellent fooling i gave thanks at first but said i would rather be a free man not bound to be a greater fool than dame nature made me all the hours of the day but when i got back to the garter what should i find but that poor old martin had been stricken with the dead palsy while he was playing his rebeck and would never twang a note more and there was pretty perronel weeping over him and nat fire-eater pledging his word to give the old man bed board and all that he could need if so be that perronel should be trained to be one of his glee maidens to dance and tumble and sing and there was the poor old franklin shaking his head more than the palsy made it shake already and trying to frame his lips to say rather they both should die oh uncle i wot now what that didst cried stephen yea lad there was naught else to be done i asked master fulford to give me perronel plighting my word that never should she sing or dance for any one's pleasure save her own and mine and letting him know that i came of a worthy family we were wedded out of hand by the priest that had been sent for to housle him and in our true names the fire-eater was fiery enough and swore that wedded or not i was bound to him and that he would have both of us and would not drag about a helpless old man unless he might have the wench to do his bidding i verily believe that but for my being on the watch and speaking a word or two or three stout yeomen of the king's guard that chanced to be crushing a pot of sack at the garter he would have played some villainous trick on us they gave a hint to my lord of york's steward 
and he came down and declared that the archbishop required Quipsome Hal and would, of his grace, send a purse of nobles to the fire-eater, wherewith he was to be off on the spot without more ado, or he might find it the worse for him, and they, together with mine host's good wife, took care that the rogue did not carry away Perronel with him, as he would like to have done. To end my story, here am I, getting showers of gold coins one day, and naught but kicks and jibes the next, while my good woman keeps house nigh here, on the banks of the Thames with Gaffer Martin. Her Flemish thrift has set her to the washing and clear starching of the lawyer's ruffs, whereby she makes enough to supply the defects of my scanty days, or when I have to follow my lord's grace out of her reach, sweet soul. There's my tale, new boys. And now, have ye a hand for Quipsome Hal? Oh, uncle, father would have honoured thee, cried Stephen. Why didst thou not bring her down to the forest? said Ambrose. I conned over the thought, said Randall, but there was no way of living. I was not whether the ranger might not stir up old tales, and moreover old Martin is ill to move. We brought him down by boat from Windsor, and he has never quitted the house since, nor his bed for the last two years. You'll come and see the housewife? She hath a supper laying out for you, and on the way we'll speak of what ye are to do, my poor lads. I'd forgotten that, said Stephen. So had not I returned his uncle. I fear me I cannot aid you to preferment as you expected. None know Quipsome Hal by any name but that of Harry Merriman, and it were not well that ye should come in there as akin to the poor fool. No, said Stephen emphatically. Your father left you twenty crowns apiece? Ay, but John hath all save four of them. For that there's a remedy. What saidst thou of the Cheapside armourer? His fellow, the Rymouth, seemed to have a care for you. Ye made in to the rescue with poor old Spring. Even so, replied Ambrose, and if Stevie would brook the thought, I trow that Master Headley would be willing to have him bound as his apprentice. Well said, my good lad, cried Hal. What sayest thou, Stevie? I had liefer be a man at arms that thou couldst only be after being sorely knocked about as horse-boy and as groom. I tried that once, but found it meant kicks and odes and vile company, such as I would not have for thy mother's son, Steve. Headley is a well-reported, God-fearing man, and will do well by thee, and thou wilt learn the use of arms as well as handle them. I like Master Headley and Kit Smallbones well enough, said Stephen, rather gloomily, and if a gentleman must be apprentice, weapons are not so bad a craft for him. Whittington was a gentleman, said Ambrose. I am sick of Whittington, muttered Stephen. Nor is he the only one, said Randall. There's Middleton and Pole, aye, and many another, who have risen from the flat cap to the open helm, if not to the coronet. Nay, these London companies have rules against taking any prentice not of gentle blood. Come in to supper with my good woman, and then I'll go with thee, and hold converse with good Master Headley, and if Master John doth not send the fee freely, why then I know of them who shall make him disgorge it. But mark, he added, as he led the way out of the gardens, not a breath of quips and howl. 
down here they know me as a clerk of my lord's chamber sad and sober and high in his trust and therein they are not far out in truth though harry randall had been a wild and frolicsome youth in his hampshire home the effect of being a professional buffoon had actually made it a relaxation of effort to him to be grave quiet and slow in movement and this was perhaps a more effectual disguise than the dark garments and the false brown hair beard and moustache with which he concealed the shorn and shaven condition required of the domestic jester having been a player he was well able to adapt himself to his part and yet ambrose had considerable doubts whether tibble had not suspected his identity from the first more especially as both the lads had inherited the same dark eyes from their mother and ambrose from the first time he perceived considerable resemblance between him and stephen not only in feature but in unconscious gesture ambrose was considering whether he had better give his uncle a hint lest concealment should excite suspicion when niched as it were against an abutment of the wall of the temple courts close to some steps going down to the thames they came upon a tiny house at whose open door a young woman in the snowiest of caps and aprons over a short black gown beneath which were a trim pair of blue hosen and stout shoes a suspicion of yellow hair was allowed to appear framing the honest fresh flemish face which beamed a good-humoured welcome here they be here be the poor lads purnell mine she held out her hand and offered a round comfortable cheek to each saying welcome to london young gentlemen good mistress perronel did not look exactly the stuff to make a glee maiden of nor even the beauty for whom to sacrifice everything even liberty and respect she was substantial in form and broad in face and mouth without much nose and with large almost colourless eyes but there was a wonderful look of heartiness and friendliness about her person and her house the boys had never in their lives seen anything so amazingly and spotlessly clean and shining in a corner stood an erection like a dark oaken cupboard or wardrobe but in the middle was an opening about a yard square through which could be seen the night-capped face of a white-headed white-bearded old man propped against snowy pillows to him randall went at once saying so gaffer how goes it you see i have brought company my poor sister's sons rest her soul gaffer martin mumbled something to them incomprehensible but which the jester comprehended for he called them up and named them to him and martin put out a bony hand and gave them a greeting though his speech and limbs had failed him his intelligence was evidently still intact and there was a tenderly cared-for look about him rendering his condition far less pitiable than that of richard birkenholt who was so palpably treated as an encumbrance the table was already covered with a cloth and perronel quickly placed on it a yellow bowl of excellent beef broth savoury with vegetables and pot herbs and with meat and dumplings floating in it a lesser bowl was provided for each of the company with horn spoons and a loaf of good wheaten bread and a tankard of excellent ale randall declared that his perronel made far daintier dishes 
than my lord archbishop's cook who went every day in silk and velvet he explained to her his views on the armourer to which she agreed with all her might the old gentleman in bed added something which the boys began to understand and there was no worthier nor more honourable condition than that of an english burgess specially in the good town of london where the kings knew better than to be ever at enmity with their good towns will the armourer take both of you asked mistress randall nay it was only for stephen we devised it said ambrose and what wilt thou do i wish to be a scholar said ambrose a lean trade quoth the jester a monk now or a friar may be a right jolly fellow but i never yet saw a man who throve upon books i had rather study than thrive said ambrose rather dreamily he wotteth not what he saith cried stephen oh ho so thou art of that sort rejoined his uncle i know them a crabbed black and white page is meat and drink to them there's that dutch fellow with the long latin name thin and weazen as never was dutchman before they say he has read all the books in the world and can talk in all the tongues and yet when he and sir thomas more and the dean of st paul's get together at my lord's table one would think they were bidding for my bauble such excellent fooling do they make that my lord sits holding his sides the dean of st paul's said ambrose experiencing a shock ay he's another of your lean scholars and yet he was born a wealthy man son to a mare who they say reared him alone out of a round score of children alack poor souls sighed mistress randall under her breath for as ambrose afterwards learnt her two babes had scarce seen the light her husband while giving her a look of affection went on not that he can keep his wealth he has bestowed the most of it on stepney church and on the school he hath founded for poor children nigh to st paul's could i get admittance to that school exclaimed ambrose thou art a big fellow for a school said his uncle looking him over however faint heart never won fair lady i have a letter from the warden of st elizabeth's to one of the clerks at st paul's added ambrose allworthy is his name that's well we'll prove that same said his uncle meantime if you have eaten your fill we must be on our way to thine armourer nevoy stephen or i shall be called for and after a private colloquy between the husband and wife ambrose was by both of them desired to make the little house his home until he could find admittance into st paul's school or some other he demurred somewhat from a mixture of feelings in which there was a certain amount of stephen's longing for freedom of action and likewise a doubt whether he should not thus be a great inconvenience to the tiny household a burden he was resolved not to be but his uncle now took a more serious tone look thou ambrose thou art my sister's son and fool though i be thou art bound in duty to me and i have charge of thee nor will i for the sake of thy father and mother have thee lying i know not where among gulls and cut-purses and beguilers of youth here in this city of london so till better befalls thee and i wot of it thou must be here no later than curfew or i will know the reason why 
and i hope the young gentleman will find it no sore grievance said perronel so good-humouredly that ambrose could only protest that he had feared to be troublesome to her and promised to bring his bundle the next day End of chapter eight